welcome to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. Tonight we're going to take a look at John chapter 3. Oh, by the way, my name is Morgan, uh, and uh, I, uh, I work for a place called Denton Baptist Association. Uh, so I'm glad to, to be here with you. I've got uh, four kids, uh, and I've got two grandkids, and one is on the way, a little girl. We found out last week. So I know you're excited to hear that, right? You're pumped about that? Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, let's get a hand on that. Yeah, good. Uh, so we want to talk about a couple of things. And, and the way I want to start is imagine how important or how valuable is light. Have you ever... I'm, it's kind of a thing we take for granted, right? We, we expect that every morning we're going to get up and this thing called the sun is going to shine, right? And, and we're going to go through the day and we're going to have light all day. And then when it gets dark, what are we going to do? We're, we're going to turn on the light and so we can study, right? How many of you would say, you know, you, you do your best studying from like midnight to two in the morning? Yeah, I, I've got a daughter who's a student at Oklahoma Baptist, and that's what she'll say. I mean, she doesn't even get serious about studying until about 9 o'clock at night, right? So what would life be like without light? Do we have our slides, guys? Okay, so lights are valuable. What did people do for light before electricity? Candles. Okay. Uh, what else? What? A torch, yeah, yeah. Or uh, a big deal was when cities got gas, like natural gas or propane, uh, and so they would have street lights, and literally people would come out in the evening to walk around and take a look at the street lights. Or what did people do for light before gas? They had the candle, right? Uh, what did they do before candles existed? Fire. Fire. What else? You ever heard of an oil lamp? They would have used an oil lamp. What, what did people do before oil lamps existed? They used the fire, right? Or what did people do when they didn't when they didn't have any of that? Sunshine, but then at night you couldn't you couldn't do anything, right? Now now let me ask you this question: If I was talking to a much older group and I asked them. If they had a flashlight, most of them would say no, because when they think of a flashlight, they think of this, right? But if I ask you, do you have a flashlight, what do you do? Pull out your phone, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the flashlight, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a paradigm shift, right? You know what I'm talking about when I say paradigm shift. So for a long time, we thought, okay, this is a flashlight, Right? And, and, uh, and this is how it works. And so we would have to carry a flashlight with us. But now, we don't have to do that. Right? We just take our iPhone, and you, and those that are younger than you, when you think of flashlight, you don't think of this. That's not the first thing you think of. What you think of is, you think of your phone, and you think of the app that has the flashlight on the back of it. Now, what we're talking about tonight is that kind of paradigm shift. 
It's, just, it's, it's more significant. It's the greatest paradigm shift that has ever happened in the world. It's greater than this flashlight happening on this iPhone. I mean, it, it kind of pales uh, in comparison. But I want you to understand that as we look at John chapter 3, the coming of Jesus means a significant paradigm shift. Okay? So we want to take a look at John chapter 3. So if you've got your Bible, what, what page is it? 5 what? 18. Okay, it's 1071 in my Bible. What, something, okay. All right. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 15 first. So I'm going to read those. And uh, you get to keep that Bible, so you may want to underline something that's kind of cool to you. Uh, and it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now let me stop there for a second. Nicodemus. So the text says that Nicodemus was a ruler, he was a leader, he was part of a group called the Sanhedrin. So uh, imagine the, the Supreme Court for Jewish people. That's the Sanhedrin. Now the Supreme Court uh, that we have has seven judges. For them, they had 70. So if you had any kind of issue uh, and you were Jewish, and you had exhausted everything else, the group that you went to was the Sanhedrin. So they were like the big cheeses. They, they were the ones in charge, right? So if there was a huge issue, these were the guys you came to. So Nicodemus was a powerful guy. I mean, the text says to us he's a ruler, and then it shares with us that, that he says that he's a part of the Sanhedrin. So he comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I, have, I know that you are a great teacher. Okay? Now, that's important for you and me to understand on the front end of this. There are a lot of folks that you'll come in contact with in your life, and they'll say to you, I really think that Jesus is a good teacher. Islamic Maybe you, you practice Islam. Islamic people would say to you and me, Jesus is a good teacher. He's a great teacher. But he's not God's son. He's a great teacher. Jewish people today would say to you and me, Jesus was a great teacher. But he's not the Messiah that we're in search of. So while he is honoring Jesus by saying he's a great teacher... He hasn't made that paradigm shift yet. Okay? And notice how Jesus begins to offer this paradigm shift for him. He, in verse 3, it says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Jesus begins the process here of introducing the new paradigm to Nicodemus. 
And what he says is that if you're, if you're going to be a true follower of mine, you have to be born again. Now, Nicodemus is thinking with the old paradigm. And the old paradigm is you can only be born once. Okay, let's try it over here. You can only be born all right, good, yeah, all right, we're, we're, we're connected here. So that's the paradigm he's working from, right? That's the paradigm I would work from too, right? We, we have four kids, they were only born once. He's thinking physical birth. Well, Jesus, like he does on so many occasions, he, pre he, pre he presents a higher level, and he says, no, you need to be born again. And then he says you need to be born of the Spirit and you need to be born of water. And what he's talking about is the fact that we need to have that personal relationship with God. Now he's going to unpack that a little bit further in the passage, but I want you to understand that what we're talking about here is a new paradigm. Now, God had spoken of it in the Old Testament. He spoke of one that was going to come who was going to be the Redeemer. He spoke of one who was going to be the Savior. So, so God had talked about it in the Old Testament. But what you see that here is, the, the term they use is called the full revelation of all of that is found in Jesus. And Jesus is introducing to Nicodemus this paradigm that there needs to be something else that happens in this relationship with you and God. And that is, you need to be born of the Spirit and born of water. Okay? Uh, time's fleeting. we got to roll. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now let me stop there for a moment. Jesus is once again sharing another paradigm shift, and that shift is... I have come from heaven to earth. I'm not just a great teacher. I have come from God. Last week, Stephanie talked to you from John chapter 1, and she talked about the fact that Jesus existed before time began. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in that passage in John chapter 1, John wants us to understand that Jesus was pre-existent, meaning that He was divine. And so Jesus is saying this again, but in a different way. He's saying to Nicodemus, look, the Son of Man, and that's how Jesus is described on many occasions, He has descended from heaven. He has come from some other place. So understand, the paradigm shift that Jesus is sharing with Nicodemus is that he is divine and that he must be born of the Spirit and of water. Okay? Now, uh, verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So now, verse 16 and 17. Here's what a summary for me is. Jesus' coming was for everyone, especially you. His coming was for everyone, but especially you. Look at verse 16 and 17. Uh, the text says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So we need to understand here that the text is saying, God loved who? The world. The world. So when we think about world, we need to think about rich, poor, no matter your skin color, no matter your, your background, no matter what language you have spoken, the text is saying to us that God loved the world. And the word there for love, if you've ever looked at different kinds of love, is unconditional love. And, and we'll see this a little bit further down in the text because Jesus will illustrate it to us. But we need to understand that as He begins this statement, He's saying kind of in a shotgun way or the way that you would take an old school flashlight and you would turn it on and it would broadcast in a big area. He's saying in, in a huge way, God loves the world. God loves the world. And, and we need to understand that as we, as we look at the text. And, and then the text says to us that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You need to understand that word believe is more than just, well, Jesus is a good teacher. That word believe implies faith. It implies trust. It implies the fact that you are placing your life in His hands and under His control. And, and so we need to understand that this paradigm shift is moving toward a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world. So God is the one who loves the world. As a result of that, He sends, as the text says, His only Son. His only Son. The, the only one He has. And He sent Him. Why? Because He wants to give people an opportunity to experience eternal life. That word perish here, uh, it, it implies uh, overripe fruit. What, what happens when fruit becomes overripe? It begins to perish, right? It begins to decompose. Uh, we're told that once we get to a certain age, we are dying. Maybe in our, in our 20s. There are brain cells that we will never have again. Right? We are in process of dying. I, I'm an old guy. I'm 56. So I'm like really dead. I'm really perishing. But you need to understand that as Jesus shares this information, He's communicating broadly, God loves the world. But specifically, God loves you. So while it's wide, it's also narrow. 
I apologize. Well, let's see if we can do it here. Uh, you can't really see it. But if you use the telescopic part of this, of this flashlight, you can really narrow it in so I can really focus it on your eyes, right? Right? So it, ha it has an effect on you. Don't you love when people do that? So you need to understand that broadly, God loves the world, but specifically, God loves you. So Jesus' coming was for everyone, especially you. Thirdly, I want you to see the fact that Jesus' coming forces you and me to a death or life decision. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that sentence, it really doesn't make sense to me. What I would want to say is, Jesus' coming forces you and me to a life or death decision. But that's not the way the text presents it. The way the text presents it is that we are dead where we stand. Listen to the words of verse 18. It says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. In our world, someone is innocent until proven guilty. Right? You're innocent until proven guilty. Even though you may be arrested for something, you are considered innocent until proven guilty. But the reality, and according to what the text says, you and I are guilty, or the way another passage presents it, we stand condemned. Now why is it that we are condemned? Because we have all sinned. We have all gone our own way. Look at, look at the rest of the text here. He, he says, he goes on to say, in verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, have you ever been somewhere that was very dark and you didn't have access to light? You didn't have your iPhone, you didn't have a flashlight? Were you afraid? I was. Have you ever been in a place where you were kind of lost at night and you didn't have a light? Were you afraid? I was. When someone came along with a light, there was hope, right? I began to feel better. Well, that's where light is beneficial to us. And what Jesus is saying here is that those that are followers of Christ run to the light. They want the light in their life. Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong and you were doing it in the dark? And you didn't want a light to be seen or shed on it? 
If you and I were going to rob someone, and I know you're not going to do that, would you want people to see you doing it? Of course not. Most, most people who experience theft, it happens at night. They want to be concealed. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you are not following Christ, then what you want is you want to run from the light. You are not in search of the light. So you have two things battling against each other. Jesus' come, coming forces you and me to face the reality of either death or life. Now, today, we don't like to think about that. We like to think that everybody is okay. We like to think that all paths lead to heaven. That everybody is good. This passage shares with us the reality that's not true. The reality is that if we have not accepted Christ in our life, we stand condemned. The only way to experience eternal life with Christ is through a personal relationship with Him. Now here's the cool thing. And this takes us back to verse 16. Who does God love? Okay, let's try it again. Who does God love? The world. Me. I appreciate so much you saying that. Because we understand He loves the world, but He loves me. And so because of His love, He opens that up to anyone and everyone. But it is your choice. It's your choice. And until you choose to accept Christ, until you choose to begin that relationship with Him, you stand condemned. My hope for you is that if you have not begun that relationship with Him, if you, if you have not trusted Christ in your life and begun to walk in obedience to Him, that you would do that tonight, this semester. That's my hope for you. Can we pray together? God, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for these students. I thank you for the fact, God, that they've taken time out on a